0: Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Hey, if you're a fellow podcaster, let me tell you about Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way
1: for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. So you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with
0: advertisers that fit your audience. That's Podgo.co
1: at podgo.co. And let them know the nerd sent you by adding our podcast, The Amazing Nerd Show, in the how did you hear about podgo section of the application? Once again, that's podgo.co
0: at podgo.co
2: Welcome nerd. Are you ready to launch 156 expedition into Nerdum? Preparing for launch? Queuing bitchin rockabilly track. Priming engines. Now activating invisibility ability. Because apparently we could have done that this entire time. Unencrypting files for comics. TV. Movies. Wrestling. Launching ANS in 3. 2.
1: 1. Hey this Chris. Hey this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. Happy
0: New Year! Uh, hopefully everyone had a wonderful holiday season. God knows it feels great
1: to have this shit show of the year finally over. Yes. Christian,
0: <laughs> how was your
1: Christmas, man? Um, you know, now that I'm looking at about six new figures on my desk, I would say it was successful. Yeah, I saw you posted some of your porn statues on our Instagram
0: account, man. <laughs> That's that Amazing Nerd Show. Uh, for all your weird porn statue needs... Um, go ahead and They're give us a porn. follow.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, man, to each his own. I'm not judging at all. I promise. <laughs> it's called etchy, All right, sure. sure.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, it's it seems like you made out like a bandit, though.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, a lot of these figures like have the ability. You can actually like change their facial expressions and stuff like that. I'm like, these are top of the line type shit and i love them um besides that i got some star wars stuff and i actually got a new time clock so i can actually track what i'm doing while i'm streaming and stuff like that a little bit better so it's it's gonna it's gonna be going to be a good year all
0: right knock on wood right yes (laughs) god
1: knows we need one um yeah Uh, no i saw you got your first uh, black series figure huh yes got uh the mandalorian with baby yoda with baby yoda right that's hey that's a great
0: figure um is that mm. the one where uh his helmet comes off
1: um i am not sure i have not opened it i have kept it in the package so far
0: <laughs> you gotta let it breathe christian you gotta let it breathe um yeah no let's see if you can stop with just one black series figure though man
1: I still got to finish my um, Millennium Falcon I got for my birthday. Oh, do you? You know, (laughs) I'm still working on it. So
0: that's the Lego one, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I I saw someone um, is actually building it into a uh, coffee table. Oh, wow. To like display it. (laughs) Yeah. Some people have been doing that online. So once you're finished with it, check those videos out. It's a really nice way to actually display. It looks great. Uh, But Hmm. back to the Black Series figures, man. Like I'm about 120 deep now. (laughs) so i'm curious to see if you could just stop with that one figure that and that mando figure is fantastic so my
1: wallets will probably stop me at one figure they're not
0: you know what's great about them is they're not too expensive so Hmm. I, i i don't know man it's like the perfect kind of advice you know and they do everything hasbro's done such a great job with that line i mean it's been going on for god i don't know it feels like six or seven years i might be wrong about that but like i started from like the very beginning and you know they've done such a wide variety of different characters and like managed Mm. to still like keep it fresh i mean throughout the years uh so i I don't know i dare you to just get one so we'll (laughs) see i I have a feeling you're gonna have like detox filled with them
1: by by the, the end of next year i think what always catches me with the black series is their lightsabers actually because those are the ones I'm usually wanting to pick up. Oh, okay. You mean you're talking about the figures with the lightsabers? No, no, don't. Um, you're talking about they, the actual prop, yeah, like the, the... the actual prop lightsaber. <laughs> okay,
0: got you, got you. Yeah, those are really well done. The helmets are really nice too. Mm-hmm. So, because I've eyed the helmets before, they tend to go on clearance because they're just so expensive when they actually hit the shelves. So, like stores like Best Buy and everything, after a few months, will put them on clearance um but yeah so i always look at them but i'm like man a hundred dollars a pop i don't know i don't know if i can sell my wife on that so but i might have to do it for the uh the latest uh boba fett one that they have coming out so we'll see we'll see
2: Uh Um, I, i had
0: a great christmas i mean i was like extremely spoiled this year for some reason to the point where i was like almost suspicious like, <laughs> is something is something happening that I don't know about? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe everyone's just like, "There's no way this dude is gonna make it through," you know, a pandemic. I mean, it's amazing that he's gone this far. So, <laughs> let's celebrate him while he's here. <laughs> Not Christian wood. show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, as, in, as a toy collector, it's just been such a great year mm-hmm. with so many fantastic lines. I think I said it before. You know, with my birthday, like I'm getting all literally the same toys that I got, you know, when I was, you know, five, six Uh, years old, you know, Masters of the Universe, Transformers, G.I. Joe, you know, I'm pretty much getting the same gifts that I got, you know, 40 years ago. So, I mean, I'm just loving life right now.
1: Oh, I've never even heard of the Red Series, but those look nice. Yes,
0: yes, they're fantastic. They're Transformers that don't actually transform. So I know that feels blasphemy, but they're like, (laughs) (laughs) they're super like cartoon accurate, which I love Mm -hmm. and like really like posable. So um, I can't wait to display them. But I've been also posting on our Instagram account at Amazing Nerd Show once again. So go ahead and, you know, follow us, you know, and I post throughout the year, like, you know, different, you know, you know, pickups and, you know, toy hunts that I do. So I
1: hope um, you're not, like, using our Instagram as justification for your purchases.
0: Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) No, my wife has no idea what I'm doing on Instagram, so. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So she's just kind of numb to it at this point, you know all right so enough about my toy addiction um this episode is going to be a little different it's going to be kind of abbreviated um we're recording this actually on wednesday and since we're in the middle of the holidays there's very little news going on right now so uh we're not going to even do a news segment this show um but we did have a couple films we wanted to review and of course you know we got to do a final review for the mandalorian um you know, Absolutely. yeah so and, and then also uh, another show note uh next week make sure to join us as we do our annual year in review as we count down our favorites in film tv and wrestling so they'll be on next week's show.
1: And it'll definitely be a unique one. <laughs> yes, because it's been a pretty shitty year. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> but you know what? I was actually looking over things, and we actually had a lot of great content this year. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting, though, to see how these like countdowns actually shape up. Um, but anyway, let's go ahead and let's get into our reviews. Uh, we both watched the final episode of The Mandalorian.
2: Warning, warning. Final Episode Spoilers for the Mando ahead. Spoilers ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. I've been quested with returning this child to the Jedi. What do you know of the Jedi? Nothing. I can lead you to
1: one of their kind. But first, we need your help on our mission.
0: Mission. And let's go ahead and get into it. So this isn't going to be like a full season review. It's just going to be kind of like, I don't know, an overview of just our overall thoughts. Um, Just because we did like almost like an episode by episode. Type deal. <laughs> yes. So, if you want that, go ahead and check out. You know, the last eight shows. Um, that's all there in the back exactly. catalog for you. So, but um, spoilers. Holy shit! Luke Skywalker showed up.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, I, I and even like when it was happening, I was still like, "It's someone else. It's someone else." I don't know why I was like so convinced it was not Luke well, until he finally so like, 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 like walked in front of me. I saw
0: you know obviously the X wing show up. Fly past Uh the window. And, you know, right away, I did think Luke Skywalker, but I was like, no, there's no way. And we both were speculating that a Jedi is definitely going to show up and save the day at the end of this episode. Uh That was pretty obvious. But we were both saying, oh, it's Ezra. It's got to be Ezra. With the characters that they introduced this season, everything, it makes the most sense. There's no way that they're going to go Skywalker. Because, I mean, technically, Luke probably does make the most sense, but just. Where we know, you know, Mark Hamill is a, you know, 56-year-old man now. <laughs> so there's no way um. we're going to get Luke Skywalker. <laughs> but holy shit, they gave us Luke Skywalker. But yeah, so the X-Wing shows up. And, you know, like I said, I you know, I was like, holy shit, can this be Luke? And then I just pump the brakes, you know. Um, but then, holy shit, he sparks up. There's a green lightsaber. And it's clear that it's fucking Luke. Because how mm-hmm. shitty would it be if he, like, takes the fucking cloak off? You know, the hood off and it was totally someone else like
1: someone we didn't Uh recognize
0: um that would be a pretty fucking shitty moment um and a huge letdown so i'm glad that they went there um but yeah no uh, how did you feel about the moment in general you know
1: i like the moment i loved like the action sequence and stuff i was thrown off a little bit about the cgi face for a moment because it wasn't on par with what we got in rogue Mm -hmm. one uh, mostly I think it's because he had more lines too so they probably had a lot more you know work to do yeah, there but yeah I was surprised
0: because it didn't feel super finished to me mm-hmm. um and I don't understand why that was. I mean I love the moment don't get me wrong but like it's such a big moment you think you'd want it like I don't know at its like finest you know that like that's something you'd be working on from like the very first day. Like, how do we capture this and make this like as, you know, as good as possible? So, and it just feels like something now you could do with like those fucking facelift apps and
2: shit. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Because I was even like, I guess Mark Hamill was actually there on set. And they did use, you know, obviously, uh, you know, a body double for the action scenes and everything like Mm -hmm. that. But then they must have did the whole, you know, ping pong balls on his face and everything to put his younger face on himself, I guess. Um, So I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, it was a great moment. And I I got chills and, you know, I you know, I I might have teared up. I'm not going to lie. But at the same time, I just I was expecting to be a little more finished because it was a little jarring Uh (laughs) because he
1: looked kind of, I don't know, video game ish to me. Yeah, it didn't help that like I had just watched Rogue One like right before that, Uh not too long ago. So it was like looking at Tarkin and then looking at him. I was just like, this doesn't feel anywhere near as polished as this was. But I don't know. I mean, it was still a great moment either way. Do you think
0: people are now ready For them to recast well
1: like you were saying before like in our previous episodes you know it seemed like sebastian stan was you know primed to just be thrown in there honestly (laughs) i'm ready
0: for it like you know i might have said Uh it before but i think i'm ready for it now especially seeing what the effects are (laughs) and how that comes off like if they need to do an episode where they use luke even more i would rather have them have someone else in that role You know, and i I, I, that might be blasphemy for some, but I feel like we're okay to move on, you know, especially an actor the caliber of Sebastian Stan, you know, so I I would be fine with it, honestly. And I think a lot Mm. of people would be. I think it might take a little bit to get used to, but if it's like, you know, to tell a bigger story, I think people would get over it fast.
1: Yeah, just make it seem like another uh, monster hit him in the face, and that's why he yeah. got changed again. But, I mean, he looks so
0: <laughs> identical to, like, a young, like, Mark Hamill. It uh-huh. wouldn't be too much of a leap, you know, honestly. So, I don't know. I, I'm good with it. But I, it was still an awesome moment. Um, you know, this, the the episode in general I thought was fantastic. Uh, I loved everything, you know, in the beginning scene with them, like, hijacking the ship. Um, I love the moment with Cara Dune. Um, You know, her interaction with, you know, the the pilot of the ship and everything, I I thought it added some, like, needed depth to, like, you know, that Imperial mindset, like hearing them, like, Mm -hmm. talk about... You know, the Rebels as terrorists and, you know, talking about like, you know, the Death Star blowing up and like how many millions died during that, you know? I mean, it was straight out of fucking Clerks, which I thought was
2: hilarious.
0: (laughs) But I mean, it makes sense, you know, in these, you know, like soldiers point of view. I mean, the Rebels are the villains of the story. So it's just something that you never really get from, you know, the other Star Wars films or, you know, or shows. So I, I thought that was a breath of fresh air, honestly.
1: No, Yeah, it's just been reinforcing my ideas that the Rebels have been the bad guys this whole time anyway, you know? And, like, the Jedi are evil, so... yeah, you know, Well, I'm we just did saying. get
0: kind of that with Clone yeah, Wars but... at
1: times. The,
0: the Jedi aren't uh-huh. always, you know, <laughs> as innocent or the heroes that they're cracked up to be, so... Um, but yeah, uh-huh. no. Uh, I was a little perturbed that, like, Boba Fett just kind of disappeared. Like, he just, like, <laughs> brought them to the ship and then he was supposed to speed off but i thought he was gonna come back didn't that seem a little uh-huh. weird
1: do it. i i wasn't paying attention to that i guess at that point because i was loving the action yes. sequences yes. for getting Them inside the ship was fantastic um you know that was uh-huh. great but i
0: just thought like fat would come in also like why would you have like one of your uh-huh. best fighters you know you know lead these tie fighters away you know quickly
1: like in that moment when he jettisons all the dark troopers out there, he could have been out there just
0: shooting them That's down true. in space. That's true. But then you <laughs> want to have that awesome moment when they do show up. And yes. You see them flying <laughs> towards the ship. Um, I love how Terminator esque the dark troopers are and everything uh-huh. um, when he's like, you know, the first one that like makes it through, you know, the door, and um, you know, Bando uh, is trying to battle it, and you're seeing he's struggling with just one of these fucking things. You know, and it's literally just pounding his helmet through the fucking wall. Yes. (laughs) I thought that was great. I was like, these things are legit. Like they're they're a serious threat. Um, I even loved the score for them. I thought that was well done. Um
1: See, that threw me off. I was like, I'm not ready for dubstep in I thought it was awesome. I don't know.
0: I liked it. So but I understand why it might have been a little jarring. Uh Uh um I'm glad they got, you know, Bo-Katan back into the story along with Sasha Banks. I can't think of her name. Um, watching, like, them and, like, Cardoon and Finnick, you know, basically siege the ship, um, you know, as a distraction for Mando to, like, you know, go after Moff Gideon. I thought that was fantastic. It's such a badass scene. Um, you know, everything with, like, the gun jamming and Just, like, how proficient, (laughs) like, the Mandalorians are as fighters and everything. Them taking the dive off the bridge to jetpack back up and, like, blast other stormtroopers. I love that. Um, Just so cinematic, too. Um, And this episode was actually directed by Peyton Reed, who did... You know, previously my least favorite episode this season, the whole frog egg, you know,
1: episode. Yes. Not because
0: <laughs> fucking baby Yoda ate the frog eggs, by the way, just because I just thought it was kind of like a transition episode. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I love the action throughout this entire episode. Finally got to see Moth like, you know, battle with the Darksaber and everything, yes. which is just like he feels like, he felt like wild with it, you know, and just unhinged the way he was just hacking at mando um but yeah no i thought that was great uh, i i thought maybe it'd be a longer battle but i understand why they didn't go hmm. that route um but yeah watching it like tear through the fucking wall um while they're fighting was great um i don't know how did you feel about it
1: i enjoyed the battle um i you know i didn't expect too much because he's not like a trained you know like sith or anything like that Mm -hmm. uh i did i always forget that he can't cut through beskar so when he actually was able to block it with his own armor rather than just the uh, Mm -hmm. thing i was taking back for a second but i mean i still enjoyed the fight
0: yeah and i like that they used the staff that we obviously Mm -hmm. knew they were setting up in the (laughs) ahsoka episode so uh that was well done but yeah no i just i I don't know this episode i mean even without the luke moments i felt like was just really really well done I mean, even if they ended up, you know, saving the day and, you okay. know, Baby Yoda and Nando boarded the ship and flew off, you know, for another adventure and the season ended, I would have been okay with that. But then on top of it, they give us like one of the biggest holy shit moments in Star Wars history, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Where we well, finally get to see Luke Skywalker in uh, his like fully formed badassery, you know, fucking mold down the dark troopers. Like just kind of cut through them like fucking paper after we see, you know, how powerful they are. I mean, we're getting that fully formed, you know, Luke that we all wanted to see, you know, in like Return of the Jedi live up to his potential that we know that he was capable of like at the end of Return of the Jedi. Know, something that you know longtime star wars fans have been you know wanting you know craving for years i mean he basically got his like vader like hallway scene
1: yes you know and That's they definitely were comparing it to
0: and they definitely were alluding to that i feel like uh-huh. you know certain shots and everything like when he sparked up the lightsaber in like you know the mist and everything that felt like you know oh they're definitely trying to draw a parallel to that so which i loved i loved i didn't i wasn't a big fan of the score during during that sequence though
1: yeah, I think it's just because they didn't want to fully give away that it was Luke cuz I mean, yeah, he has a perfect score to play behind there.
0: Yeah. All right. Yeah, and I I guess the score doesn't really fit the show's tone, but they mm-hmm. could
1: have given him something else. I just I just
0: didn't think it was cuz I love the entire season score. Like I think uh-huh. it's I, you know, it's Because I've really enjoyed the score up to that scene, you know, for both seasons, honestly. I thought it's, you know, I think it's really well done Um, and it's become iconic onto itself, um, which is saying a lot against, you know, when compared to like a John Williams score.
1: Yes. Uh, One more moment that I really wanted to talk about was um, the entire tension scene um, in the cockpit when, you know, Mando has the dark saber and we find out that Bo-Katan can't receive it from him. Um, without fighting him for it yes uh, did did that fully make sense because i don't remember what exactly happened in rebels where you know sabine kind of just gives it to her so that did stand out to me
0: i remember it the same way i felt like sabine just like handed over the saber uh-huh. to bo <laughs> <laughs> so i don't remember that being a rule like a law of the dark saber or something
1: And especially with her, you know, already, like, giving up on a lot of old customs, why not just take it at this point?
0: Uh Uh-huh. Especially if he's just handing it over.
1: Yes. You know? Uh I
0: mean, do they just have, like, a pretend scrimmage, and then he gives it to her? Like, oh, you beat me. Because it's not like it has to be to the death,
1: Mm -hmm. because he
0: didn't kill Moff Gideon right
1: exactly everyone in the room could just say they fought too it's like hey she kicked me and i passed it on to her it's like yeah fine.
0: or they just do it wwe style and you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know he does the job
0: he takes the pin uh-huh. and then you know he lays down and you know hey it, you know she's the ruler of mandalore and i I mean, it's obviously going to be a storyline that gets resolved in season three. I mm. feel like it's obvious that, you know, Mando's going to be helping Bo Katan, you know, regain control of Mandalore, you know, rightful, you know, control of Mandalore. Um, but yeah, no, it, that, that feels like where the show is headed. I mean, I could be wrong, obviously.
1: I'm not John Favaro. <laughs> uh i do think it'd be cool to see the armor show back up and like uh see her reaction to him having the dark saber and i don't know maybe trying to push the ideals of death watch onto a new version of mandalore I, I mean are
0: they going to come in conflict now yeah exactly know?
1: and is is mando going to have to choose
0: you know between the two sets like what what's going to happen there mm-hmm. it feels like a natural story progression you know, and I do think we're kind of starting to see some cracks in his, like, I don't know, blind allegiance yes. to, you know, the way, if you will. <laughs> so, you know, just the fact that he did even realize there was another way of life on Mandalore. Because in that first episode where he meets bo he's definitely taken aback by the fact that, you know, he, I think he assumed that everyone lived by the creed that, you know, his, you know, the Death Watch lived by. Like, he didn't realize (laughs) that, oh no, not everyone on Mandalore lives by this code, you know, at least to like the level and depth that, you know, (laughs) Death Watch does, that there's a different way of life and a a different outlook um, on Mandalore. So um, he might have issues with that, like not knowing, like not having a choice.
1: Well, imagine if he had to meet the pacifist era version of Mandalore. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. He might also resent the fact that they didn't even bother to tell him about mm-hmm. the other ways of life. Before we move on to our overall thoughts for the entire season, do you think we're gonna see Grogu again?
1: I do, but maybe not for the entire of like entirety of next season. If so, maybe like near the end. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: I mean, do we think we're going to see Luke Skywalker again? Um, I doubt it. I feel like if they do want to show off Luke Skywalker again, it might be like, you know, him trying to train up the new form of Jedi. Mm -hmm. I don't think we'll see him in another like battle moment like we just got. Okay. I mean, I want to see
0: another battle moment like we just got. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all in for it now. Like, you know, give me more Luke. (laughs) Um, But yeah, but it would definitely, once again, it would have to be, you know, with the role recasted, you know, Mm -hmm. which might be blasphemy, but I'm ready for it as a fan. So um, I do feel like we're going to get a little more Luke. I do feel like we're going to get Grogu, but I agree with you. It's probably not going to be for a while, not to at least the end of the third season or maybe in the fourth season. I mean, maybe we get a scene where like, you know, Mando's, like, back is against the wall, and all of a sudden we see, like, a little lightsaber spark up. (laughs) And then it's fucking Grogu just cutting through fucking dark
2: troopers. (laughs) You know, like fucking Yoda style
1: in Revenge of the Sith. Uh (laughs) I think what I'm most interested by is the concept of him possibly being there when Kylo Ren you know, turned on.
0: Oh, like. God, don't do that to me, man. I don't
1: <laughs> I don't need to
0: see Grogu's, like, corpse laying on the ground, you uh-huh. know, and <laughs> you know, all the fucking wreckage of, you know, Kylo Ren's uh, temper tantrum. So <laughs> um, it definitely feels like they're going to be connecting, you know, the dots between, you know, where we are now and how we get to, you know, the sequel trilogy. So I feel like we're going to see more and more like moments like that. Like I wouldn't doubt if we see like, you know, the beginnings of the First Order eventually, you know, in this series. So I don't know how many years out that is technically, but I mean, you could do a time jump here, you know, explore that period where the first order comes into power and how that happens because you know before when they were playing with you know baby yoda's like dna i thought it was more for the dark troopers but apparently that's not true so it definitely feels like it has to do with you know them trying to build a clone for the emperor it seems like that's what they're alluding to here yes so i mean we're getting those dots connected already oh before we move on to our overall like season review what did he think of the end credit scene
1: Oh, I thought it was awesome to see him just tear into Jabba's palace and pretty much claim the throne. Uh, I don't know what that means for the underground, if anyone will, you know, you know, stake his claim, but I think that was a pretty awesome um, scene to see. Yeah, right. Um, so do you think like Bib Fortuna
0: was really like this, like big, like mob boss? I...
1: <laughs> I think at least he was, you know, standing in and trying his best. I mean, he was he was obviously putting on the weight for it. I know, right?
0: (laughs) I love that touch, though. I thought that was awesome. Uh, Yeah, like so it feels like we're going to get like that Star Wars Underground series, you Mm -hmm. know, through Boba Fett. I'm on board, obviously. So (laughs) give me more. And that's coming out the same time as season three of The Mandalorian.
1: And do we know when the Ahsoka series is coming?
0: I think it's probably a year or two out. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Ahsoka in the meantime in like the Mandalorian or another series, you know, pop up. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, so. But yeah, I feel like that's a couple years out at this point. So just just give me live action Rebels at this point. (laughs) I I think we're because you remember that was a rumor that they were going to like do a, you know, a sequel series to Rebels, you know, live action style so i mean i wouldn't doubt if we see like sabine next season mm-hmm. you know or ezra for that matter so i feel like we're headed in that direction we thought we we're gonna get ezra this season yes. so. <laughs> <laughs> and we know soko already dropped Ron's name yes <laughs> so all the like once again all those dots are connecting I mean, God bless, you know, David Filoni and John Favaro. Just a, a, an awesome job.
1: All right. Well, let's get into our overall thoughts and final grade for the entire
0: season. All right. So, what an absolutely amazing season. Favaro and Filoni more than met the challenge of the dreaded sophomore slump and just over delivered to the point of me wondering, like, how are you going to top this in season three? I mean, while the first season was a much smaller, more contained story, albeit a great story, about this orphan bounty hunter's journey, this, like, weird, you know, samurai-western mashup, season two was all about, like, exploring what his story means to the bigger picture of the Star Wars universe, and really using it as a vehicle to do so. I mean, as we get, like, some serious, like, world-slash-galaxy building, if you will, it really just felt like this pitch-perfect celebration of, like Star Wars fandom, being this like wonderful blend of, you know, what I love about the original trilogy and the prequels with obviously like Clone Wars and Rebels in particular. I mean, with, my God, with all the familiar faces we saw, like we heard the rumors, you know, before this season started. I just wasn't expecting for all those rumors to actually come true. Just amazing. I mean, then we also get all these layers, especially with like, you know, the Imperial that I didn't know I needed. I mean, even though there are they're short moments, we get more of an idea of what like makes them tick. I mean, they just don't feel as like one dimensional anymore. And I guess as a fan, I guess I just didn't know I wanted or needed that depth. And they managed to do all this without like betraying the core story of like Mando and Grogu. I mean, we got to see Mando truly become Baby Yoda's father. I mean, did it feel formulaic at points? Yes, but it fucking worked. And I think Feloni and Favreau are smart enough to, like, know that they're gonna have to mix it up with season three. So I don't have any real worries about that. A lot of curmudgeons out there are throwing around terms like fan service, especially at the end of the finale. And I guess I shouldn't use the term curmudgeons because they have the right to their opinion. And I'm not here to change that. I mean, but... You know, I know that fan service is this like popular buzzword used by a lot of people nowadays, but here's the thing, like, I don't mind like fan service if the story dictates it if it's like the natural conclusion or the next chapter of a well-told story because then it's earned just because it's predictable or it pleases a lot of fans doesn't mean it's not good entertaining storytelling i mean let people fucking enjoy themselves for christ's sakes the mandalorian has managed to encapsulate everything i love
1: about star wars and that's why season two is getting an for me. I mean, I definitely think I'm one to call out fan service when it's blatantly bad, and I just didn't see that here. And I think that's because Mandalorian's strongest feature is that it's not afraid to be a TV show. Um, Even with season two giving us you know, an even larger scale to its world building and having more connections between episodes, the show still finds engaging ways to keep each episode feeling self-contained and important on its own. And with that, It fosters great character moments that in my eyes are yet to feel forced or unnecessary or as they say, too fanservice-y. This season's visuals and fight sequences We're all a step up from season 1's already fantastic action and continue to find new ways to reward loyal fans as well as excite new ones. I can honestly say this show has been the best thing since Disney's takeover of Star Wars because it just seems to get what makes Star Wars so magical to its fans. That mixture of nostalgia yet new has to be praised because this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about when I say I want to see an older property through the lens of the modern filmmaking. But with that said, uh, you know this is probably the easiest grade I've had to give all year. Mando Season 2 is definitely an A. I think the only reason it wasn't an A+, was just because of the few technical things like Luke's CGI, and you know, Episode 2 being the only weak episode of the season. Um, if you haven't checked out The Mandalorian yet, and you've listened to all of our reviews for it, I, watch it. I, I, I can't say it enough. This is definitely the best thing in Star Wars right now. All right, Christian, after months and months
0: of anticipation, we finally saw Wonder Woman 1984.
2: Warning, warning. Spoilers for Wonder Woman 1984. Spoilers ahead. You have been warned. I've never been one for rules. The answer is always more. will never find us
1: i forgot to tell you what radar
2: will they will they shoot
1: at us Rewind to the 1980s as Wonder Woman's next big screen adventure finds her facing two all-new foes. That's Max Lord and the Cheetah. This was directed and written by Patty Jenkins along with Jeff Johns and stars Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, and Kristen Wiig, as well as Pedro Pascal from The Mandalorian. So man, I love the first Wonder Woman film.
0: It's one of DC's best movies, and it truly, like, captured, like, what makes Wonder Woman such a great, iconic character. And at the same time, like, it's just groundbreaking and a milestone that changed the comic book film genre for the better. So, like, needless to say, I was really looking forward to the sequel, especially after hearing Patty Jenkins was going to be back behind the camera. But unfortunately, after finally watching the film after months and months of delays, the only thing that keeps on going through my head is what the fuck happened here? I mean, I felt like I just watched a movie made by someone who never saw the first film or any comic book movie for that matter since like the 80s or early 90s. I mean, the tone is so different between like the original and the sequel that it's just jarring. Well, I think it's definitely by design and honestly, like I'm fine with them going for more of a lighthearted story like using the 80s backdrop instead of like the cold bleakness of World War One. I. I just didn't expect them to like actually shoot the film like it was made in the 80s the genre has evolved so much since then I mean everything in this film is slathered with like this layer of cheese and like borderline I don't know tongue in cheek I mean don't get me wrong I did enjoy the first 20 minutes I mean it's definitely partially due to it being I don't know to it feeling like it was more like the first film with it being set in like the mascara I mean it sets up this theme that I thought was gonna like play out through the film and you know really resonate, but also, like, I liked, you know, what they did in the mall. It felt like it was playing homage to, like, 80s superhero films. Jenkins, like, manages to capture the excitement of seeing our hero in action through a child's eyes. It was very Donner's-esque, like, you know, the first two Superman films. It's a fun scene, but I just wasn't prepared for the film's tone to stay that way through like the duration of the rest of the movie because like after the first half hour the film starts to feel like it's creeping towards i don't know parody i mean fun and lighthearted doesn't mean lazy storytelling, though. I mean, at a very, very poorly paced two and a half hours. I mean, God, this film is entirely way too long for no good reason, honestly. But you would think that'd be enough time to really, like, get deeper into the story and explain some things that are happening. I mean, everyone hates exposition, but Jesus Christ, things just kind of happen in this movie for no real rhyme or reason. The story is just so thin that, like, it feels like they're making it up as they go along, it honestly feels like a couple kids playing with their action figures in a sandbox. Like, there's not enough connective tissue between like events to like really like connect the dots in any kind of meaningful way. I mean, it's just unfortunate and strange because it's not like it's some like action packed roller coaster ride. Honestly, there goes long sequences without any action or Wonder Woman for that matter. And when we do get like, you know, finally some action sequences, they feel just so uninspired and the CGI, I don't know what was going on, but it feels like, I don't know, unfinished, which is strange because they had plenty of time with all the delays. And speaking of things not being fully developed, the villains are so one dimensional in this film. I mean, they're walking cliches. We have Cheetah played by Kristen Wiig and then we have um, Maxwell Lord played by Pedro Pascal. They just both come off so cookie cutter. I mean, we've seen different versions of these characters characters in like a hundred comic book movies at this point. So I mean like like I said it's not their fault. It's not their performances. It's just a bad script. I mean the same goes for Gil Gadot. She's wonderful in the role and she has so much like natural charisma. She's almost able to like save scenes like in this film due to just being so magnetic. Unfortunately her performance is just totally wasted. I mean that also goes for Chris Pine. They both have such great chemistry together, but like, and this is, you know, getting into spoiler like territory. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers for the film, you've been warned, go ahead and skip ahead, maybe by a minute or two, there's timestamps for crying out loud. But anyway, the way that they choose to bring him back just feels so convoluted and kind of creepy. It's a real like head scratcher. Cause mind you, like, In this film, there's a stone where you can wish things out of thin air. So I don't understand why they made the choice that they made. It just feels messy for no good reason. I mean, and then you also have like the reverse fish out of water storyline that they have going on from the first film. And like, you know, on top of the 80s aesthetic, all this just feels like it purely exists for a couple of sight gags. I mean, it's just a waste overall. Also, like, and this is just me, but I have a hard time with Diana still carrying the torch for, like, this relationship. Like, I know... You know he saved the world and everything, but it lasted for such a short period of time. It's not like they've been like married for years. I mean, it it just feels like she had enough time to move on after like all these decades. So I know she's in the moment when she's holding the stone, but I just have such a hard time wrapping my head around like the fact that the first thing she decides to wish for is like to bring him back from the dead. I mean, her sole purpose of existence right now is to protect humanity. So you would think. Maybe she would, like, wish for something like, you know, I don't know, peace on Earth. But maybe that's just me. But, I mean, anyway, lastly, and I promise I'm almost done ranting. But, you know, that message that they are trying to set up in, like, I don't know, the best scene in the movie. I mean, the very first scene that I was, you know, talking about with Diana as a child. Well, that scene doesn't end up really coming into play. The theme just kind of lands flat and it really doesn't resonate throughout the entire film. I don't know where they went wrong, um but I don't know, it just didn't really work for me. It feels almost tacked on, unfortunately. So like obviously, I'm incredibly disappointed because God knows I wanted to love this film. But like, I don't know, audiences and Wonder Woman for that matter
1: deserve better. While I agree with Damon, you know, kind of like 100% on the story, (laughs) usually I can find, you know, some leniency in my big blockbuster film because they they bring such grand battles and spectacles between hero and villain, and I love that shit, you know, and after the first Wonder Woman, I definitely expected its sequel to be action-packed, but as my co-host already stated, fights were few and far between, and even when we got them, they were insanely bad. I was getting flashbacks to doomsday's cgi from batman versus superman when watching the conflict between wonder woman and cheetah something that they had you know already shown me you know, bits and pieces of in the trailer but i figured that was just you know kind of their unfinished product for their sizzle reel you know that's there's something that they wanted to show off you know to get people a little bit interested but boy was i fucking wrong i mean i think it's very important to point out just how bad the physics and cgi in this film was as they had time to screen and fix this again and again until release. I mean, literally, this film was pushed back forever, and they still didn't put any polish to the CGI. You know, it's frustrating that moments in this film came out worse than what we got in Batman vs. Superman. And yes, you can make an argument that they were just trying to stylize it in an 80s superhero kind of way. But it just didn't play right on screen, and I feel like anyone who saw this before release could have made note of that. Because on top of all of that, you know, you know, on top of the, the effects being shitty, every fight sequence and bit of choreography relied on these effects. It felt like every, you know, like punch was followed by a long slow motion slide to the next enemy. You know, it just... The amount of physics that were just wrong—you know, moments where you know she would glide down from jumping and just land perfectly without having to bend knees or anything—were just kind of. It was fucking laughable at times. It showed that no one was really thinking about how this looked on screen. Um, it, i don't know—that that was for me. That was probably the most disappointing part. Was the fight sequences. Um, on the other end, you know, my saving grace for the film was simply the performances. Great actors picked up a shitty script and made it work to the best that they, you know, possibly could. You know, I felt Gal Gadot's, you know, anguish when, you know, having to let go of the one she loves. I felt Pedro Pascal's desperation for power and, you know, to to be the best he possibly could, um, you know. but it didn't matter because, you know, even with their back-breaking performances, it just could not hold up this film whatsoever. And while I still have some shred of hope for Matt Reeves' Batman, I think Warner Brothers as a whole at this point has to do a lot to get me to be interested in DC movies in general. Um, I just think when they're not doing quality control and stuff like this, and we see so many cracks in the wordworks, like, Something, something like a Wonder Woman movie should be bringing in millions of dollars for them, billions of dollars for them. You know, you would think you would throw, you know, the book at it. You would, you know, make it the best that you possibly can. And the fact that they, you know, screened this, watched this, and said, "Man, this is great," you know, gives me all those same fucking nightmares I had after, you know, Justice League and Batman versus Superman, where they said, "Yeah, man, this is fucking great." and didn't care about the little things that they possibly could have fixed that even would have made it just 10% better you know it's it's those it's those little bits of effort that you know, make people want to come back to your film that make people loyal. I mean, this isn't a DC versus Marvel thing. At this point, for me, this is a Warner Brothers versus DC thing because it just makes no sense that they continue to do this again and again where they watch the films and let stuff like Superman's mustache CGI continue to be their gold standard of what should be put out in front of us and it makes me terrified for whatever is coming next with like flashpoint and stuff like that but i digress damon what would you give this as a grade all right christian
0: so i'm gonna go ahead for my grade and give this a d d for disappointing because this is probably the most (laughs) disappointed i've been in a film in a long time obviously and part of that is just because i love the first one so much um, I had no reason to doubt that this was going to be a great film, um, with Patty Jenkins back and all the actors back, um, and they really just—I don't know—shit the bed. Uh, um, I know we did our top disappointing films of all time list just a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know, man. This might actually <laughs> <laughs> end up cracking that list in a couple of years when we, you know, revisit it. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, and that's just solely you know, based on, you know, expectations. And my expectations were extremely high for this film, you know, after how great the first one was. But anyway, enough about, you know, what I think, Christian, what grade would you give it?
1: I don't know if my expectations were as high as yours, but I mean, for me, the performances really stood out. And that's why, like, like I really got behind Gal Gadot's performance during that scene where it does get ruined by her running CGI and that shit. But that moment beforehand, where she's pronouncing the wish and everything, it, it worked for me until she started sprinting and the world wasn't moving with her. Uh-huh. It, it, it worked for a moment. So th- there's she's tons of those little her arms pockets. A little too yes. fast. <laughs> There's tons of these pocket moments in the film where I thought were good, but I think that's all just because of the actor's performances. I'm going to give it a C. Okay. I think, you know, as time goes on, that grade's going to deteriorate in my mind. But <laughs> I think right now I'm, I'm sitting on a C, mostly just because of how well handled the performances were. And a lot of the little bits of like, I see what they were going for with, you know, truth versus lying and everything like that but it just didn't work no it didn't
0: like it got so muddled (laughs) like I was like okay you're definitely setting up a theme here with that opening Uh you know moment but then it just didn't really carry through all the way I was like all right, well you know she was definitely forced to renounce the wish
2: like Uh it didn't even feel like
0: it was much of her choice you know um it was really Chris Pine be like no you've got to do this you know and she's like okay fine whatever um And I don't know. Felt like she almost was forced to renounce the wish Uh by, like, you know, Chris Pine, like just you know insisting. No, listen, you got to do this. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I just it didn't land. It didn't land for me, I guess.
1: Well, remember the other option was just to kill Max Lord, and I feel like the real Wonder Woman. Oh, she's done it before. Just killed Max Lord. She's she's actually killed him before in the comics. Exactly.
0: that's actually happened (laughs) it wasn't this scenario but yeah (laughs) so um I i don't know it it obviously didn't work for me though so um so i mean before we move on we did get news recently that wonder woman 3 has been greenlit and patty jenkins is back um when that news broke i was you know super excited and now I definitely have my reservations. How are you feeling about that news? I
1: I feel like at this point, I want a whole new team or at least someone else's vision for Wonder Woman. Um, You know, I I enjoyed the first film, but this one just, we gave Patty more control here, Damon. (laughs) She had more power over this one. So I have no idea how, how this happened at this point. For me, I was just blown
0: away with just, how drastically different this film was from the first one, especially once again, because, you know, Patty Jenkins was behind both films. It would be the equivalent of like Tim Burton doing Batman Returns, you know, or the first Batman film, and then directing fucking, you know, Batman and Robin. Like it just, you know, and maybe that's harsh comparing the film to Batman (laughs) and Robin, but that's the tone shift that I felt, Mm -hmm. you know. It just felt so campy, you know, (laughs) to me. Um, And I know they're playing with the 80s aesthetic, whatever. But like, I didn't, I just, I didn't expect the whole film to be that way. (laughs) I just don't know why they chose to tell this story because you literally have decades of great Wonder Woman stories to choose from, you know, on, on the page. It's like, it's all there. You have literally a library of great Wonder Woman stories, you know, sitting there as a resource. So I don't know why they decided to do this. So it just, I don't know. it, It almost feels like a betrayal to the character
1: no i agree i mean like when i think of wonder woman and cheetah i I almost think of them as like that's her arch enemy Mm -hmm. and like that character being so much bigger than what they presented here in this film and i mean just like i don't know man that scene where they get the close-up on her face and then everything after is just so muddy and like so poorly it's like this is something i expected chose
0: to shoot it in the dark too to hide Uh the bad cgi I'm wondering if that's something they decided to do in post, like after they saw what the CGI was going to look like, finished product wise, if they're like, okay, we need to just darken this scene completely, you know, make it take place at night just to hide, you know, cause the, the character design also didn't work for me. I just don't know why she became like a cheetah. Like that, I just don't get it. There's so many other animals then that they could choose. If that's how they're going to set up this character like and you're gonna fuck with her origin story because they definitely fucked with her origin story like you need something a little more solid for her to become this like cheetah character you know not just her saying oh i want to be an apex predator because that line doesn't really cut it Mm. it doesn't really connect like why would that be the apex predator she becomes like i still like i said i don't think it cheetah's really an apex predator like wouldn't she just be able to run fast?
1: yeah Otherwise, i guess but i mean that whole moment breaks all the rules in the film anyway she already made a wish yeah. she can't make a second wish we can't and we, we can go into this all day david i <laughs> it it's, doesn't work well <laughs> it just doesn't not, work
0: let's not waste any more time on this um, you saw another film christian um this weekend
1: that's right damon i saw pixar's soul on disney huh? plus Heavens? No, it's the great before. This is where new
0: souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't wanna go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't wanna. Uh. Hey
2: <laughs> oh, okay, look, I already know everything about Earth and I don't want anything to do with it. You're missing out on the joys of life, like uh, pizza. I can't smell. We can't, we can't taste either. All that stuff is in your body. No smell, no taste, or touch. See? Okay, I get it.
0: A musician who's lost his passion for music is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. So this film was directed by Pete Docter and Kemp Powers and written by Pete Docter and Mike
1: Jones. And it stars Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey. I think I got lucky in a way where I kind of went into this movie blind. Yes, I had seen you know snippets of trailers, but it wasn't anything that I was like actively following. So you know, Pixar's soul took me completely by surprise. All because just how mature of a story it was. I know Pixar is known for you know towing that line of kids movie with adult themes often, but I argued this was not for kids at all. Soul takes on concepts of life, you know, like what it is, what is our purpose in it, and what our individuality actually means. Um, you know, we follow a failed jazz musician, turned music teacher named Joe Gardner, um, as played by Jamie Foxx. It would seem his luck you know would finally you know turn around for him you know, at the start of the film, you know, earning an opportunity to play live on stage with a famous jazz player. However, he is suddenly transported to the afterlife after a complete freak accident. Not ready to give up on his life or his dreams, he runs away from the great beyond and ends up meeting and gaining aid from a newborn soul named Simply 22 as played by Tina Fey. Tina Fey's character just doesn't seem to have a spark for life and and has little interest in being a living person. Um, these two characters are great juxtaposition of one another, as one clings to life as hard as he can, and the other, with little understanding of what it means to be alive, fights against it. The journey that ensues teaches both a lot about misconceptions on purpose and life in very deep and meaningful ways. Um, you know, this film takes a much deeper approach to storytelling than your average Pixar film, but because they may have still wanted you know, to reach a younger audience, because as you know, that's what they're known for. I think there are paths the story chose against that created some drawbacks, in my opinion. You know, conceptions of morality and death and overall consequences. Uh, you know, I-, I felt were pushed aside to tell a more light-hearted tale. But I felt like with how far they were going, you know, and how adult the tale seemed to be, you know, leaving out that bit of life and hardship was just a misstep to me and ultimately created a disconnect. That criticism aside, I do feel like we are seeing a new age in Pixar that, you know, further blurs that line of animated kids film as I could easily see them using this as a platform to dive into more serious stories. Plus, on a technical side, I think this was one of the best animations, you know, coming from Pixar yet. All those moments on Earth were breathtaking. In just how well molded the cityscape of New York was. It was almost you know disappointing whenever we were like in the soul dimension as there was simply like just not enough going on as compared to the actual you know world. It was just very open and you know kind of bland. Now you know I'm sure this was done on purpose for contrast reasons but I mean just you know the the soul dimension was just so kind of you know blank. i don't know i I just felt like there was a lot more that they could have done um to make that place a little bit just a little bit more eye pleasing um in general but i digress i still think this was a you know fantastic film just um the story wasn't a hundred percent there for me all
0: right christian what grade would you give this film
1: all right so i'm gonna give this a b plus i think that the animation was like superb like some of the best i've ever seen um, you know, the performances really came out with the characters 22 and um, Job, as played by, you know, um, Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey. I thought they were phenomenal in it. Um, there's just little things that I had disconnects with the story that makes it not get my full A just yet. But, you know, I think um, this is still something worth checking out. Um, you know, you're stuck at home with quarantine anyway, and you got Disney Plus. This is definitely a watch in my eyes. So definitely check it out. I would like to take a few moments of your time and welcome you in. My name is Mr. Brody Lee, and I am the Exalted One of the Dark Order. And we, as a whole, understand that during these trying, unprecedented, anxious times, how you feel. I once was lost. I once was downtrodden. And I once was beaten down. But now, I stand before you as the Exalted One. So I want you to now stand next to me. Yes, thank you, Mr. Lee. Thank you. It's It's an honor. It's Mr. Mr. Brody. Yes, sir, Exalted One. It's Mr. Brody.
0: So this past week, we tragically lost Brody Lee. I mean, a great wrestler, And even a better man, I mean, as evident from, like, the outpouring of love and respect he's, you know, just received from the wrestling community. I mean, just truly moving and a real testament to who Lee was as a person. Like, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it before. I mean, it's only really comparable to the outpouring like Owen Hart and Eddie Guerrero received. When they uh, tragically passed away, I just keep on thinking like how happy I am that Lee finally got an opportunity to show how insanely talented he was in AEW. I mean, he was just hitting his stride really with the Mr. Brody character, especially with that epic dog collar match he had you know, between him and Cody, I know him along with like wrestlers like Cesaro have always been on everyone's shortlist of wrestlers underutilized by WWE. I'm just so glad that he finally got his moment to finally shine.
1: No, Yeah, this was definitely some shocking news um, to, to either just like randomly scroll upon um, while I was online. I mean, I, in one way, I kind of hope that for a lot of wrestlers that are out there that have been more um, complacent or maybe even too scared to like stand up for what they want to do in wrestling, I kind of hope that they can look at a person like Brody Lee who, you know, he got out of WWE and he started doing something great in AEW um, as a way to like platform themselves up or do something uh, because, you know, time is short time. At any moment, something like this can happen. Exactly. Um, Take you know, a bet on yourself. It's sad to see him go, but I, I, I do hope people will, you know, be more inspired by who he was um, at this point and kind of elevate themselves. Definitely. Um, rest in power, Brody Lee. Alright, but before we head out, make sure to head over to DramacityProductions.com where you can hear us and plenty of other great podcasts.
0: That's right, and if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Yeah,
1: it definitely helps an independent podcast like us keep on going.
0: And you know what? If you like any of the stories that we talked about this episode, make sure you go ahead and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and see the full versions of these articles, plus a whole lot more.
1: Yeah, you can follow us at AmazingNerdShow. That's your nerd hub for all things pop culture. Hey, and and
0: if you're looking to further support the show, go ahead and buy some merch over at Public.
1: They have shirts, they have sweatshirts, I think they have mugs, bumper stickers, the works, man. Absolutely. And you can also head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and find our merch there as well.
0: Yeah, and while you're at it, go ahead and pick up your favorite wrestler's t-shirt.
1: All right, Christian, tell the fine people what we got going on next episode. Well, it's the time you've all been waiting for. We're going to be talking the best of 2020. That's wrestling, films, series, the works. So definitely get excited, Damon. That's right. It's our annual year in review. And what a shitty year it's been. Hey, there was a lot of content that got us through the year. There
0: is. No, there is. There's a lot of great stuff that kept our heads above water this year. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Way to be positive, Christian. Yes. Holy shit.
2: (laughs) He's trying to
1: leave, people. It's a new year, David. <laughs> a new year, new new you. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> All right, till next week. My name's Christian. Or curmudgeon. Um, and my name's David. And that is The Amazing Nerd Show.
0: Is that what you're getting at? Exactly. In order to get it built quickly and quietly, they'd hire anybody that can do the job. I think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet
1: main. All they know is killing in white uniforms.
2: All right, so they bring an in independent contractors. or something. Why are you so upset at its destruction?
1: All those innocent contractors brought in to do the job were killed.
0: Casualties of a war they had nothing to do with.